0: This is an ABC podcast. On the
1: ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio.
0: This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio
2: Melbourne and Victoria.
0: Karen
3: Tai, welcome. Thank you. A lot of uh, sports commentators have got credibility because they once played the sport. But you, Karen, (laughs) you haven't played league or cricket or competed in the triathlon.
2: No. I played netball at school, I suppose. (laughs) That's what I can say. I think that attitude really has to start going out the window. It's a bit like saying, I'm sorry, you can't comment on the Catholic religion unless you're the Pope. (laughs) You can't comment on politics unless you've been the Prime Minister. I mean, myself, and and I know a lot of my friends who are females in sport, we're there because we enjoy it, and that's what we want to do, and uh, that we haven't played for our country I don't think is, is a big issue. So that was Karen Ty with some would call the perfect comeback back in 1993. So, how much has changed since then when it comes to media coverage and attitudes of women in sport? Over the last year, only 15% of sports news covered women's sport. So that meant that 81% was focused on men's sport, and that's here locally in Victoria. And if it was covered, then women's sport was more likely to be limited to things simply like results and performance, and men's sport would receive deeper coverage and analysis. Now, this is all according to a report that is calling for equal representation. It's a report by the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation. It's called The Conversation of Sport, Representation of Women in Sport and News Coverage, and it was released just yesterday. So when you think about equal representation of men and women in sport, what do you actually think of? Because one thing that this report is asking us to consider is to look at not just who plays sport, but who we as a society, who we celebrate, who we showcase, either as leaders, as experts, even as far as heroes. What role does not just the media play, but what role do sponsors play? What role does the sporting code themselves play? And then there's us, the audience, the fans. What role do we all play in equal coverage of men and women's sport? So if I say to you equal representation in sport, what does that look like to you? And whose responsibility is it to call for change? Do we as fans have power to create or to at least demand that change?
1: On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM Radio.
0: This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt and joining you in the studio this morning, Sarah Styles, the Director for the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation, Professor Claire Hanlon from Susan Alberti, Women in Sport Chair at Victoria University, and Shiloh Curtis, a former Australian rules footballer, an administrator and, of course, a television and radio sports commentator for us here at the ABC. A warm welcome to all three of you. Sarah, first thing, congratulations on this report. It was released yesterday. It's called The Conversation of Sport, Representation of Women in Sports News Coverage. We started the show with a grab from Karen Ty, who unfortunately is no longer a part of our ABC team. But that was back in 1993. She had to justify why she was even commenting on sport. How far have we come, do you think?
4: Gosh, it's good, isn't it, that clip? And it feels very apt to be discussing the conversation of sport on the Conversation Hour. So thank you for <laughs> for having me in. Oh, I mean, and a huge amount has changed, and I think that's something that we take quite a bit of pride on in the, tri- the work that we're doing, this sense of um, making sure people are recognising what's been done. But it's also why um, something like this is so important to me because, you know, I think about the great work being done in community sports clubs across across the entire state across the country and it's things like this that are accidentally undermining that work because you know you might have a club doing great things and you've got parents involved and opportunities for girls being created opportunities for women to um, participate and be involved in every single step of the club and then yet you've got this effectively megaphone coming down that says actually you know what actually no 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 men's sports what's important and so for us this is not only about, um, you know, what does the data say? Because when you have data, then you can have conversations around, well, where improve. do we think? Yeah, we can improve. You know, we can't change the past, but we can say, how do we do a little bit better tomorrow? But there's very real practical applications of it, what it's doing in community sport, and also its, its impact on the ability for women's elite sport to professionalise. So, you know, we're off the back of that incredible match last night. Matildas, they're off to Paris 10-0. That is my type of scoreline when we're talking <laughs> soccer. Um, and it's incredible, the journey that the Matildas have been on. But you think about all women's elite sport, the ability for them to build that fan base, to attract sponsors, to ultimately get that broadcast revenue that helps it grow, comes back to if mm. people aren't hearing about it in the first place, that's tough. Charlotte, were you...
2: Surprised? The fifteen percent of women's coverage in sport. I know when we spoke off air, I was shocked and surprised by that number. But were you?
5: Oh look, I yes, I wasn't. I wasn't. I think um, it has improved from you know some of the numbers sort of ten years ago were, were were even worse. But I was quite surprised when you think about the amount of content that now exists with women women playing elite level sport on our own in our own backyards here in melbourne victoria all across the country we've had this amazing women's spring of professional sport every single mm. traditional male dominated sporting code has got a women's competition now but we've only increased by that much and it feels a bit disproportionate when there's so much more content that's available now so i'm a bit curious as to why that
2: why that is We'll get into why that is today how about yourself claire were you surprised
1: shocked impressed disappointed (laughs) all gamut of emotions with this report i think all gamut of emotions you think about sitting on the fence and that's me in relation to this report i mean if we think about the amount of events that we now have for women's sport and that's from grassroots through to elite level yet what's happening with our media coverage we need to make sure we need to normalize women's sport and how do we normalise it?
2: Yeah, well, exactly, because whose responsibility is it? Is Does it all fall onto the media organisation?
5: Well, I guess for me, I think in lots of different ways. We, we go to sport as the cure-all for every ill in society and I don't think we factor in the sport, the, the media industry. We see the media industry as separate to the sporting industry, but I'm a big believer if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, it may as well not have happened. And the media plays such an important role in ensuring the story of sport gets out there and how the story of sport is told and certainly for me as a um as a commentator you know I really respect the responsibility that I have and Mm. the privilege that I have where I have a voice and I have a platform and how I choose to talk about the
2: athletes and do you think how you choose to talk about athletes is different because you are a woman and we see things potentially through a different lens? Or is that a part of the problem that people think, well, you're gonna see things differently because you're a woman?
5: I don't think that's a problem. I think that's a great thing. It's Mm. diversity of thought, diversity of, it's kind of like having, you know, flies have so many lenses on their eyes for a reason, so they can see so much more. And I think if we only have one lens in those spaces, then you only tell one story. But I certainly can see things as an ex-athlete. I see them as an ex-administrator who, who's been, you know, working so hard to create these kind of opportunities, but also as a fan and, and also knowing what it's like as that five-year-old girl knowing as a f- that I would never get to play football professionally simply because I was female and the impact that that went on to have in my life. I get the opportunity to tell to a story that. in a particular way for those five-year-old girls and boys in their lounge rooms, their mums, dads, their grandparents, I get to play a role in how they receive what the sporting codes put out there. So I think we need to start thinking about the media as part of the sporting industry
2: and not separate That's interesting. Anne's in the ballerine. Hi, Anne. Hi there. What did you want to say? I've been uh, doing a content analysis of
3: newspapers' coverage of women's sports for the past couple of years. And I'd say, yeah, 15% is pretty typical. Like today's age, there are three articles out of um, 14 covering women's sports. Um, Sunday age, there was one article out of 17. It's pretty similar on television. We're more likely to hear about um, football in the United States than um, Australian women at mm. elite league
2: level. It's funny, Anne, there's a text here that says what I've noticed recently is that women have to win in their competition in order to get coverage in the media. Just look at newspapers, you mostly think that women don't play sport on a weekly basis because they're never discussed and photographed unless they win. Take a look and survey it. Would you agree with that, Anne? Absolutely. And
3: the other thing is that um, more traditional women's sports certainly don't get the coverage. I mean, more more, women, more people play
2: netball than
5: almost
2: yeah. any other sport where it's the coverage. There's a lot of people we're saying we're similar playing. similar thing about netball. Sarah, mm. everyone, the entire panel is nodding here. You agree with Anne? I love the fact yep. that she's been analysing this for years, mm. by the I way. I know,
4: I was just thinking the same. Credit to you, Anne. And, I mean, what was a surprise to me in this report, if we think about print? Uh, so out of print, uh, online news, TV news, radio news... Print was actually the strongest performer. So 20% of print came out. Now, don't get me wrong, we're still talking, you know, one in five there. Uh, But I am an optimist. I will take better any day of the week. So what was a surprise to us there was this idea of we had assumed that if uh, there was limited column inches that's not where women would have the more chance to shine. We assumed online, where there is not that space, that's where they'd come through. But it was the opposite. Where there is unlimited space, that just meant more space to write about men. Shiloh, as a commentator, and someone that
2: often would maybe have to pitch ideas, even say as a reporter, to someone within the news hierarchy, if a women's sporting code or individual hasn't won, what chance do you think you would get of getting that story up and giving it some decent coverage?
5: I certainly think there's a there's a scoreboard requirement. There's certainly a, a performance need and expectation. And if you look at the Matildas, if we had have gone into the World Cup last year, you know, labouring um, in the world rankings, I wonder whether or not there would have been such um, interest. And, yeah, we're coming... You know, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of conversation around performance. You know, this group of players, you know, won the Asian Cup back in... 2010, I think it was, we've been very lucky that they've been so successful. But I do think Mm -hmm. there's a performance expectation. We've got to demonstrate that we're as good, if not better, than the men. There's got to be a scoreboard success factor. We can't just talk about it.
2: Like it's sport.
5: just, just, Just because we talk about the stories within the game, as opposed to there has to be a scoreboard metric that we define whether or not that women's sport is worthy or not.
1: And do we need to, Shiloh, in that context? What's the narrative? And that's really important. Because that's the narrative is a big part of this report. It really is. And what it's showing is that, look, there's positive narratives that are reported about women, which is great compared to men. But if you have a look at the differences, what they're looking at is um, the, the, the performance, and that's what they're reporting on. But what about training? And there's a lot of other narratives that could be told that don't have to be focused on winning. And drawing that out is really important so when you're looking at that it's it's talking about things like advocating within the sport or and th- and that's happening a lot with men but why not do it with women and that's something this report can do is having people in the media to have a look at these narratives what's being told but what can change so that it doesn't have to just focus on the performance and if you look at AFL
2: I mean in the lead up to the men's that there'd be stories where at the end of it I'd be like what is this story in terms of the telly and tally news and a lot of the time mainstream news I'd be like I don't even know what this story is about yeah they're at training but is there actually anything to this where it'd be vastly different if it was AFLW Rod in Brighton now g'day mate how you doing? Good. What did you want to say?
0: Well, very quickly, Tayo is an Australian sports app that's available for streaming and it covers a lot of sports. And in the US at the moment, college basketball for women is going gangbusters, yet they won't play the games, yet they keep playing the men's games. Mm-hmm. And I think it's driven by gambling myself. And I think that's
2: another factor. Yeah, you're not alone. There's a few texts that are talking about it's because sport is a business and gambling's a a big part of it. There's two things there that we should pull apart with what Rod had to say. We've got all of these streaming services that we can use now. We don't need to rely on traditional media. But let's go – should we go to gambling first or should we go to access to – Well,
4: why don't we start on access? Because I think there's something in that. And while this report talks about news as opposed to broadcast, you know, something that KO does well is um, to try and reach new audiences. They have what they call their KO freebies. So your ability to actually tune in and catch up on netball because actually the story for netball in this report – relative to other sports. I'm not saying it's great, but actually netball was the uh, second strongest covered women's sport behind AFLW. So there are positive stories there and there are positive stories around how we're trying to get this access to new audiences.
2: Does gambling play a big role in this when we look at how saturated and how sick of it people are, but seeing sport as a business when it comes to the media and maybe the dominance that certain media will give
1: it, how much of it is driven by profit? It's really sad, isn't it, in that context? What is it that we're driving sport with? And um, we're seeing more ads, it seems to be, on television um, and on other media sources. Yet if we turn the story around and we had a look at that if we had more... Um, um, women sports that were being viewed and, and listened to as well as I'm, I'm talking about women reporters as well and ha- having their lenses because we we're talking about that. It it would help draw on um, more sponsors and advertising and increasing broadcast rights. <clears throat> They're the things that mm. I think are really important. They're beneficial to the sport and to the athlete. So maybe that's the And to the, the sponsor
2: and I know Sarah will get into that in just a tick. John's in Bayswater. Good morning.
0: Oh, good morning, Rochelle and guests. Um, you just mentioned the AFL and AFL women's and how uh, difficult the AFL women's are trying to get a foothold in the uh, in the media. Should um, the government uh, use uh, legislation to um, get the AFL to divest the women's category of AFL women's sport so that it can be governed under its own right and not be held back by the men's... Uh, side of the in by side of the business and the tradition of that
2: so you mean what's, having some stricter rules around it beyond the, the media well, we have, or the afl i mean the afl are kind of a, a world until they're <laughs> almost their own government
4: aren't they so well i mean what's the report saying the report saying that and this is a victorian-based uh, report so the report is saying that uh, um News on Aussie rules dominates, and that is whether it's men's or women's. So while that's Victorian-specific, reality is if you thought about any state or territory, there is a traditionally male code that dominates. If it's not AFL, be NRL. What comes after that is then national sports like cricket, like soccer. So what we're seeing here, I think we can broadly assume, is comparable across the country. So for me, it's um, I don't think the AFL is struggling here. Um, I think the relativity between men's footy and women's footy is probably what's really shining light. But actually what this is saying is um, AFLW and women's football, because this is also regional media. This has actually told a really good story about regional media. This is also women's footy. They actually performed really well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, relative terms. Like, well, probably we'd be hoping this isn't better. Better. Let's go for better. (laughs) But, I mean... I think about it, uh, before I was able to join the office, I was um, lucky enough to work at Cricket Australia for a few years and was leading the women's strategy there when we were creating the Women's Big Bash League. And one of the things that we were trying to do there is to showcase to families who were engaging with the Big Bash that there was a pathway for whether it is your sons or your daughters. So there are benefits of these things happening together. What did you do
2: at Cricket Australia for women's cricket? Because... I'm not a cricket follower. For whatever reason, it's not necessarily a sport that I've connected with. But it has even penetrated through to me as someone who actively does not look for cricket. I vaguely know what's going on with women's cricket. I know that they are guns and that they are doing really well and that young girls are talking about playing cricket. So whatever women's cricket did got through to people like me who
4: doesn't even register with cricket. What did you do differently? Well, I'll ask you a question back to start with. How old do you think the Australian women's cricket team is? Oh, Not the players, cr- the actual age of the team, how long the team's existed. Oh, how long the team has existed?
2: I have no idea.
4: So it's almost, oh, oh. It's almost 90 years old. <gasps> well, when wow. I was lucky enough to join Cricket Australia at the end of 2014, I actually already had a world championship team. Uh, so no developing... The, yeah, two and three Australians didn't even know they existed, let alone um, what they were achieving. So for us wow. during that time, it was more how do you take these incredible athletes, like, you know, realistically up there with the diamonds in terms of the m- most successful um, teams that they have, maybe someone listening can quickly do the sums of how many World Cups those two teams have won. Um, so it was more how do you take this incredible team that had been Um, shepherded by high performance people and operations people who cared deeply about them but perhaps didn't have the marketing lens of how do you connect with fans how do you tell their stories and that's what we started doing was there an
2: appetite when you were broadcasting women's cricket because for i mean they were incredible at one point they were nailing it they were better than the blokes yet the blokes is probably still getting more coverage but women's cricket and the level of athleticism success the way they carry themselves on and off the field they really are a shining example when you're when you're covering them when you're talking about them when you're writing about them on air shiloh what what kind of response did you get i mean did text lines light up did people write in did you get complaints i think
5: we've got a really good example of what happens when you equitably invest in a in a women's sporting product, through the last twelve months, through the Matildas, for instance, and I think coming into that, you know, right on the back of just as COVID hit us, you know, we had eighty six thousand go to the MCG. Yeah. It was just, that week
4: I, I very much week. remember. <laughs> <laughs>
5: but you think about that, there was so much work, and there was a big piece of work that was done preceding that to make sure we got eighty six thousand. We're trying to break the world record, and um, but. There was a big piece of work that was done, and it it simply is about equitable investment. And if you invest in women's sport, in the storytelling, in the athletes, in the support staff, in the pathways, if you invest in women's sport like you do with men's sport, you get a comparable outcome. And I think that's the piece. I mean, we've got to continue to make sure that we invest in similar ways to make sure we keep getting these outcomes. But we keep expecting similar outcomes with less investment. We've got more investment than we've ever had but it's still not equitable.
4: Is, is there something here as well that ultimately we we come into it and even connected to the research from yesterday, if you were told from the moment you were taking in the world around you that women are crap at sport, you know what? They're just, they're not, just good, not as good. They're not as good. They're not as important. That's something that you're. we're collectively over the last particularly 10 years as a society unlearning because we're actually letting ourselves see what's in front of us and that product is amazing, whether it is the netballers, the basketballers, last night with the Matildas, all these teams. So I think that's actually a part of it, of where we've, we've internalised something and now we're trying to actually give ourselves permission to simply
1: enjoy something that's in front of us. And it's not even um, providing permission for ourselves, it's understanding that actually there's a unique game here with women and we've got unique skill sets, um, but that's also as reporters, it's uh, people who are commentating, bring them all in and look at the lens and see what they have to offer. Mm. We've shown and research continues to show that fans want to watch, but the coverage isn't there. So if we can work with that in the context of saying, let's look at the demand. I mean, we had record numbers of people watching women playing sport on TV in 2023. So how are we embracing this and moving it forward? This is all a part of
2: the Conversation of Sport, Representation of Women in Sport news coverage. It was a report that was released yesterday from the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation. The Director of Office for Women in Sport and Recreation, Sarah Stiles, is with you, as is Professor Claire Hanlon, Susan Alberti, Women in Sport Chair at Victoria University, and Shiloh Curtis as well, a former Australian rules footballer, administrator, and, of course, you would know her from television and radio here on ABC. This text, women make up 50% of the population. They don't watch as much sport as men do. More women watch neighbours than men. Maybe it's about special interests. I'll just leave that one there. Good morning. When we talk about what equal representation in sport looks like, what does it look like to you? And whose responsibility is it to call for change? Is it the fans? Is it the sponsors? Is it the sporting codes themselves? Released yesterday was a report from the Office in Sport and Recreation, and it's called The Conversation of Sport, Representation of Women in Sports News Coverage. What role do the fans play, do you think? And like In terms of let's just de- demand, let's just demand more.
5: Oh, they play a, a really important role, and if you look at, I guess, the AFLW, that's probably a really good example that actually there's a there's a KPI now on fans. You have to turn up if you want more games. You actually have to turn up. There's a benchmark that the AFL's put in place. The players want more games, um, the fans want more games, and the AFL said, "Sure, but you've got to meet this this minimum number of uh, of fans turning up on average every season." I guess one of the challenges there is that yeah, the fans can turn up, but if the opportunity is not there, then they can't. You look at the AFLW Grand Final this year, the tickets sold out uh, within I think it was two hours. They had 13,500 at Princess Park. Marvel was empty because it was being uh, reconfigured after there were monster trucks the weekend before. And so we talk <laughs> about money in the system and, of course, Marvel had been booked out for that event, but they didn't reserve their premium venue that they owned for their premium women's event. Mm. And that says a lot. So how can you as a fan show up if the opportunity's not there? That's a
2: challenge. This text and it says do crowds at aflw and at a league reflect the interest there's never big crowds it's great for women's sport but you can't force people
4: to watch is that text true no you can't force people to watch i think the thing is though is one of the reasons i like working with data is because data is fact other things are people's opinions so you know I think about what we're talking about here, 15% of sports news focused on women's sport, and we sometimes can get into a habit of we're talking women's sport, so therefore we're going straight to women, whereas reality is actually often 50% plus of the fan bases of these women's sports are actually men. And the reverse is if most men's codes in this country only had 50% women's fans, they'd be broke. AFL fan base, practically gender equal. So this idea of how we kind of almost reduce it down to women's sport, women women you've got to show up, all this type of stuff. It goes back to what Shiloh was just saying. It's also got to be set up for success and we're coming off the back of decades of that not being the case and instead we're like eight, nine years into starting to do a little bit better at this and we've seen phenomenal results. Last night, mm. 54,000 people yeah, sold out. Sold out. How long does the Matilda effect
2: last? And is does even saying the Matilda's effect kind of get tired and
1: irk you a little bit i think we should be talking about women in sport (laughs) yeah and let's look at it from a player a leader and a reporting perspective it's a it's a whole base and we were talking about fans and the effects of fans but this is a whole ecosystem and it's not just fans and we were saying this before it's not just media it's not just sport it we need to work together and in order to do that I mean we have a look at media it builds the audiences uh, and media is uh, in an accessible area for regional rural people through to city people so that we can listen and we can watch it but then it's in the sense of accessibility and how can we enable that to happen and If we have a look and what's happening, we can see that viewers are sentimental to brands who sponsor. Mm. And so if we have a look at that, high-level sponsorship recalls, that influences purchasing decisions. So that then shows the importance. It's like a wheel. If we have media that shows women playing sport it increases the sponsorship the, the fans then more likely to purchase products from the sponsors and the interest is there as well so you've got the money you've also got the interest there and it, it becomes just hasn't quite clicked for whatever but
4: is but yet. I, it's I, I, there. I think That's is this thing. one of the challenges though and i know this is going to resonate with everyone sort of uh here today we keep having this narrative of how long will it last, and oh, you know, women's sport has arrived. I am hearing women's sport has arrived annually. At what point we've just arrived? It's just here. No one is saying, "Oh, I wonder if the AFL will be big this
1: year." No, it's just
4: a given. Exactly. It's moved on.
1: We need to normalize it. Normalize the conversation. This isn't a once-off. Just bring it into. Or just things have
4: changed. Hmm. So how do we just simply get on give with it. it? Or just give ourselves permission uh, uh, to move on? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's a really good
5: conversation. I think. Claire, your point around the ecosystem I think is really important. The ecosystem has to work hand in glove and I think it is a bit clunky at the moment and probably a good example that I can share is when I first started working in the AFLW back in Season 1, there was so much airspace because we had stoppages. We had boundary throw-ins between the arcs, which we don't have now because we've altered the rules to keep the ball in play more often. Um, there was a lot of space in quarter breaks. The quarters were 15 minutes flat, um, no time on. So I had lots of time to tell you the colour, the story, to help the viewer or the listener fall in love with the athletes and go, I might oh, watch right. that again. Yeah. I might go I to connect a game. With that person. But what's happened is been the criticism and this comparison between the men's game and the women's game and, and skills and the like has forced, in some respects, to try and get the the product to be more attractive to the fan base. We want the ball in play more. So the AFL's altered the rules for the women's game to keep the ball in play. But what that means is I've got less time to talk about how great these athletes are. I talk about what I'm seeing, but I don't talk about the athletes. But then the system that has set up the game time slot doesn't allow for the broadcasters to extend their broadcasts. I can't actually tell the stories that I was telling eight years ago. I can't do that.
1: You make a really good point. You're talking about team sport compared to individual sport you have more time to talk about the individual player then but as a team it becomes harder from but that's when
2: the responsibility falls back onto the broadcaster right okay well give you more time preamble chat before you you go on and do the call post-match analysis all of that kind of stuff so then the responsibility comes back to the abc or channel seven or whoever it may be but
5: often on that with the AFLW, for instance, and sometimes the B, uh, the Women's Big Bash League and some other sporting codes is that games go back to back. So you're, you're dependent on the scheduling of the, the sporting organisation themselves. So we have a two-hour
2: time slot, essentially, between yeah, games right. and AFLW. So then if you don't run the next one to time, people are going to be annoyed with you.
5: And if you have an injury and the game runs over, there's a whole conundrum. What do we do yeah. for the next call, you know? So there is about – it's a finite time – and I think the whole ecosystem needs to work a bit more in tandem rather than it's a bit clunky at the moment.
2: Charlotte Curtis is with you, former Australian Rules footballer administrator. Of course, you know her from ABC Radio, Professor Claire Hanlon as well, Susan Alberti, Women in Sport Chair at Victoria University and the Director for the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation, Sarah Styles. You're on The Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Today we're pulling apart a report that was released yesterday. It was released for the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation. It's called The Conversation of Sport, Representation of Women in Sports News Coverage. And there was some alarming, some interesting, some comforting things that came out of this. I think the main thing that I took out of it, Sarah Stiles, is that I, as... Well, I guess within the media, I play a, have a role to play. But I'm looking at it as a lens, I'm just an everyday person,
1: mm-hmm.
2: from a fan, from someone that's out there. This is not somebody else's responsibility. We all have responsibility in this. That's probably one of the main things that I took out of this report.
4: Yep. Yep. Good takeaway. I think for me... I try and think about what can it look like moving forward. So if we roughly draw a comparison to some work about a decade ago, that rate of change suggests we're not going to get to something that at the office we refer to as you know, uh, resembling gender balance, So, which we kind of kick in at about 40%, until 2048. So people are going to have different views about this. Some people are going to be listening to this kind of going, well... You know, the, the the women don't deserve that coverage yet. Maybe one day, but not yet. Or isn't this just what the fans want? Whereas actually what I'm here saying is it's more like, well, what do you think's right? Mm. If the answer's 15, you know what? You're probably, you're part of this conversation. You've already made up your mind. So it's kind of this sense of if you feel like this isn't where it should be, regardless of where you think the destination should be, what could that look like? And reality is people can make a difference. It is about... How do you click on that article when you see it? How are you supporting your local clubs? How are you championing the voices of people yeah. this and if you are even you know you might know your local sports journalist you know I think about some good results in here for like the advertiser the courier Absolutely. You know, standard we always
2: looking for stories right I mean long someone yeah. to give us a story, but if you think that this report doesn't impact or affect you. It does because it impacts and affects whether or not young women and even young men rock up to their local sporting club and want to participate, that they want to be a part of it. This is something that we've seen forever, Shiloh.
5: And it's not just about participation, but it's about what we want as a society and as a community and who we want to be and what we stand for. And you know presenting young people and older people there's some really wonderful people playing elite sport community sport you know right throughout the lifespan but it's about standing up and saying what level of agency do we want to empower people with and how do we want to help them bring the best of themselves out because when they are enabled to be the best version of themselves in whatever pursuit it is that they tackle then we all benefit from that. They benefit, but we all get the gifts of that, don't Mm. we? So this is the thing for me, uh, Sarah, your point around, you know, what is the target? But I think more so what do we want to stand for as mm. a community and a society and how do we encourage people to buy into that and that's something we all benefit from it's not your responsibility or mine we all play a role in culture and community we're all the recipients of it we all own it but no
2: one's almost responsible for it at the same time and so w- and when we talk about the regions and the smaller communities if something like the footy and netball club goes under the entire town mm. pretty much disappears if it doesn't have that connection so The ongoing impacts of not having correct coverage, not having involvement, not having community
1: connection is huge. Absolutely. Look, I come from a rural town and playing sport was our social connection i lived on a farm and so to be able to go in and to play sport was key it was always a buzz when we were in the newspaper our photo was in the newspaper (laughs) it's like bonus and i still have them cut out which is really sad because it probably ended there but that just shows the influence that it has and i think it's important to be able to empower individuals in the context of saying we're recognising you and we're regardless of what stage or age you're at or ability you're at but you're there and you're part of our community
4: it's actually so much bigger than
1: sport as well
4: you know what we know in australian media there is actually no walk of life that's covered more than sport but it's more than that you know we know participating in sport so this is influencer who's participating right and we know uh, kids who are participating in sport particularly girls they're going on to achieve more in life uh, for a range of reasons um, and that doesn't mean you have to be awesome at it by no, the way it's not about, it's not about being an athlete there's there's work that shows you know you're more likely to succeed in a business career if you actually played sport because you are you're more comfortable
1: being competitive you know how to play in a team all this type of stuff it's the determination yep. it's the resilience it's the ability to complete projects there's research that's been conducted globally across a range of industri- industries the 95 percent of the top executives who were women believed all of these it's what helped them Mm. get to that stage and i
5: think it's great to talk about what we're providing as aspiration and inspiration for girls but this is also about boys and men Mm -hmm. and it's about reshaping and you know being part of their evolution and their growth about what women are and um and what we stand for and what we've got access to and if we think about gender-based violence in our community um sport has probably one of two things that's informed our national psyche more than anything else. And it has a massive responsibility to tell a story that is equitable, that's about inclusion, it's about safety, it's about support. And it influences the mindsets, the hearts and minds yeah. of boys and men growing up in this society. And when we put women on the same platforms as we do oh. the boys and men, that is the story that we're, that we're um, investing in the, in these young boys and, and, and men and if you think about some of the health and well-being outcomes we have around some of those really traditional masculine stories that we've told yeah, over a long time through the sporting platform, this is not just about women and girls. This is about enabling men to be free of that mm-hmm. conversation as well.
2: I'm going to bring in a really strange analogy here, but go with me, right? And when we talk about the role of men in this conversation, I'm going to bring up Taylor Swift. And my husband took my daughter to Taylor Swift. And the thing that he took away from it was the feeling in the stadium of it predominantly being young women there supporting young women. And he said to me, Rishabh, I've never felt anything like it imagine if you could harness that energy and you could take it into the outside world you could take what i felt in that stadium it was incredible and i think it was so important people talk about the swifty dads and whatnot being there but that role of the swifty dads in feeling that Mm -hmm. and witnessing that it's kind of similar
5: before the aflw when i was running the under 18 high performance program i had a a coach that went on to coach in the aflw and he actually he was coaching in the under 18 academy system that we had the equivalent of the the boys under 18 elite state league and he coached in both the boys program and the girls program and i said to him what do you prefer more and he said look i actually really love coaching in the girls program more because in the boys program i have to wear a mask I have to be a big, tough kind of guy and coach through fear. And there's, if I'm if I'm too soft or if I'm perceived to be too soft, there's a real challenge. I'm challenged about my coaching credentials and my credibility. But he said, you give me a space to just coach as wow. the person I am. And I get to show up and, and love these young women and support their journeys. And I'm, f- I'm free. I get to be all of who I am in the female space. It's a real gift for me. So when we think about women's sport being a product for women, I think that's rubbish. It's a product for everyone. And if you look at golf fans, overwhelmingly golf fans are male. So I think we need
1: to make sure we keep in mind that this is a story for all of us, not just some of us. Oh, absolutely. I can't agree more, Shiloh. Um, I was lucky enough to, be, to go to the quarterfinal for the FIFA Women's World Cup as well as the finals. Getting off the train and having men walk past flying the flag singing the songs it just had goosebumps Mm. not only on me but everyone else and it's you're talking about taylor swift and the goosebumps i can this is a prime example the same thing happens it's there it's there with all of us and it's a matter of harnessing that and bringing it forward that we can all celebrate joanne's in frankson good morning good morning look my mom
2: is 100 years old oh incredible
3: now my, my essence of my mother is she was a great sportsman a sportswoman, I should say. Um, she played tennis, she played golf, she play- She was a fast bowler in cricket, <laughs> um, played for Aberfeldy, which was one of the first um, cricket teams in, in Melbourne.
5: Amazing.
3: Um, and just as a little side issue, the reason they bowled over Arm um, in... In cricket, I believe, is because women playing cricket couldn't play in their long dresses. Oh, uh,
2: so they not. changed to overarm bowling. Oh my goodness, that is incredible, Joanne. I love that story. How much of an influence has that had on you? Well, bugger all, pucks, excuse my language.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but as far as my watching sport yeah. has definitely influenced it, yeah. because through my childhood we watched. Tennis. We watched golf, and we watched cricket. These
2: now, are all the long sports. You're in for, for the long games.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the bottom line was that was because that was what Mum was yeah. interested in, and so you know there was nothing. A, a lot of women in in golf that we got to watch, but because they w- didn't broadcast it. Um, but we watched a, um, a tennis, which has got a good balance in it. Yeah. And we watch the women's as well as the men's.
2: And I loved Australian that the, Open was key. And the fact that your mum was a part of change, and when we talk about change in women's sport, and I know, Claire, this is a lot of work and research that you've done, even when it comes to uniforms and feeling comfortable. And I know Sarah Lowe, who's now the CEO of Softball Australia, back when she was, uh, you know, in the football world, she's like, well, you know what, let's just change the rules. Let's just make the uniforms different because let's face facts you can't bowl if you're in a big dress and a corset i mean uniforms forever have had to evolve and change
1: oh absolutely and how wonderful to see how we have changed but how we can change quickly because even since the research our research report came out a couple of years ago there now have been policy changes for uniforms and you'll be pleased to know in the context of cricket cricket victoria has changed even their pants for um the younger girls so it's not white and so they can wear leggings they can wear shorts whatever they feel comfortable in that's really important because we want more girls and women to play let's empower them let's change some of these simple non-traditional Um, areas that we need to focus on
4: I'm going to take this in a weird direction as well around (laughs) the importance of male allies in this in championing change because that story Joanne shared and I laughed that she said bugger all and then went on to say how normalised it was for her to watch sports so actually her, her mum had a wonderful impact on her but that story about the skirts, so think about those big Victorian-era giant hoop skirts. It was true. Women couldn't bowl underarm, so they started bowling overarm, and it came across to be just simply the default by one of their brothers says, this is much better. I'm going to do that in my game. So he's gone across. He's done that. He's been thrown out of the game, and he's never, he never played cricket ever again. But that is how it started, by a guy kind Isn't of going... Isn't that
3: incredible?
4: Yeah, and this is going back, I think, the best part of 200 years. Someone will be able to check that for me. Um, but just that idea of, you know what, that how can men's voices and men's actions drive change here? It's not all being left to somebody else.
2: So the fact that we now bowl over arm in cricket was because women changed it because they were expected to play cricket
5: in a hoop dress. <laughs> 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 I did play cricket in collots. It was hideous. Yeah.
4: Once upon a time, we had to they're play. White. Like it
5: yeah. 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 yeah, terrible. Terrible. And so some of You choices. might have to
4: explain what collots are. I'm not sure they're everyone like always says like They're like they're a skirt, skirt short. short
5: thing. They're, they're a short. <laughs> so, still shorts. They're still pants. But they make it look like you're wearing a
4: skirt. So you're still not, you know, you're not corrupting your femininity. So <laughs> but you're I also guess... wearing shorts, playing cricket, diving on a cricket pitch, ripping up your knees.
5: No, no, no. But then you'd also wear, you know, like school teacher knee high white oh, socks that you fold over. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, a good example is I never played hockey. I would have loved to have played hockey. Didn't play because you had to wear a skirt in play so i think that that conversation around how we position sport you know the shop front that we provide for it the quantity the quality the narrative that we tell what we speak about when we commentate or we talk about it they they Mm -hmm.
2: make a difference for the people that are looking for it and that's critical Kat says, oh, thank goodness women don't have to play in those bloody culottes anymore.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I think people are scarred. It's like netball with the pleat skirts. Like, thank God I never have to wear them again.
2: (laughs) Richard's in St Kilda. Hi, Richard.
4: I just wanted to add a little bit to your
0: conversation around promotion and broadcast of women's sport. Um, I I had the great opportunity to read an article yesterday published by one of the world's preeminent sports consultancy businesses. There was talk about the relationship that brands have with men's sport and women's sport. And for men's sport, it's still largely about eyeballs, the volume of people watching something. But for women's sport, it's so much more important to create the stories and the connections Mm. that require that investment by the media partners to spend more time pre-game, during-game, post-game, bringing people and their stories to life, whether it's Sam uh, or whether it's somebody lesser known. And we have to, if, if that can happen, the commercialization expands, the commercialization expansion brings about the opportunity for greater contribution and participation. But so I guess I'm, that's you know, what we, we, we really were talking about
2: before involved. though, Richard, is mm. that it Shiloh, it's all it's really hard to do that.
5: Yes and no. I do think there is a shift. I think in the commercial or corporate culture around what they stand for and what they want their brand to represent. And I think there's, I think there's another part of this conversation around sponsorship and branding. And I do think that the expectation of the external sponsor and what they want to be aligned or with, what an an they affiliated, demand, as well, right? that will then create a demand on sport to say, well, actually, we don't want to put the money into the men's team. We want to put it into the women's team, or we don't want to support the men's team because they've got all of these issues. But we. No, if you look at all the trusted sporting team brands in the country overwhelmingly most of them are female in terms of a fan base we want to be attached to that yeah we'll get we know we'll get more eyes in that other men's space but that's not what we stand for and our shareholders are demanding
4: change but also we actually proved as the office last year you're getting a stronger outcome on key perform as uh, so a key sponsorship metrics if you actually align yourself your brand with women's sports properties kind of makes sense doesn't it they are on the up if you want greater awareness conversion there is deeper connection now if you just want mass eyeballs men's sport yeah that's the direction to go for the most part but that sense of you if you actually want to return from your sponsorship we showed that for every one dollar they were investing into the visibility of women's elite sport they were getting seven dollars and 29 cents back in customer value it actually makes sense Mm. but we are pushing against the default here
1: And that's what we're talking about before in relation to sponsorship and the recall. And that if we do have more in the sense of sponsors that are sponsoring men and women, maybe there needs to be media agreements that it's men and women that are being sponsored, Mm. not just one or the other.
4: I know if I can add something on that one, and possibly this is what Richard was saying as well. There's really a school of thought that potentially some sports may may need to contemplate opening up the sponsorship category. So think about it. FIFA, they align with uh, Visa maybe they need to actually open up that visa. Unless you're putting in more, you don't have protection over on the women's Absolutely. side. And you know what? MasterCard has the ability to come in. Correct. So that sense of is that potentially the next frontier of um, you know separating the mm-hmm. commercial... Um,
2: There's some interesting changes that are being made locally and by local governments as well. So I know down on the Basque Coast, for example, they have made a rule that there's equal prize money and they've got some huge sporting events there when you take in things like motor racing and the Grand Prix and surfing. Men and women have to be paid equal prize money or you can't host that event there. Mm. So if you start to make local changes there, then if you've got equal prize money, does that then start to change the narrative, oh, they're equal, maybe we'll give them equal coverage in the newspapers, on the tally, on the radio?
5: Yeah, we've seen instances of local government um, agencies or local councils um, putting in place mandates that... You know sporting clubs to be able to access training facilities and playing facilities for their men's and boys teams they actually need to also have women's and girls teams and there needs to be better balance there's some stuff you know there's an expectation and encouragement to get greater gender balance on on boards at community sport level so it's not just about investing in female players but it's about female leadership and female visibility overall and i think probably one of the other things that we're not talking about this is just such a binary conversation Mm -hmm. and i know i go i know the converse uh, the research around non-binary and gender diversity people is so low that the numbers are so low it's really hard to report on but i think that is another element to the female sport conversation is is that trans and gender diverse people non-binary people you know have more of a platform there than they do in say male sports so there's another opportunity here to tell a really good story and support you know a community that is really marginalized um and, and experiences you know some really terrible mental health outcomes and sport plays such a critical role in that and we know that women's sport you know the female sporting environment is such an inclusive environment so there's so much goodness in there but how do we get that narrative out there better
2: what do you want done with this report sarah styles it was released yesterday there's a lot in it who do you want to read it and what action do you want taken from it
4: so for me i'm thinking about because we're intending to not make this a once-off we're going to be making sure there is that transparency of where this data sits ongoing so for us, we're really thinking about who are the key ecosystem players here: the media companies, those biggest sports, and yes, it's all sports. But at the same time, when we look at share of voice, some can have more of an impact. And I'm really pleased to share that they've actually been really engaged in this process. So if I think about moving forward, it is the recommendations in the report that really takes the actions down to the individuals to say, you know what, this is not something that happens independent of you. Mm. You know, it's something as simple as do you have a strategy? You know, do you have targets for your journalists? And for somebody who's listening to this, who perhaps doesn't actually work in sport or in media, it's a, a, what we were saying before: engage with the content, like learn yeah. who it is. We're in the we're six months out from the um, Paris 2024 Olympics and Paralympics. We're going to learn so many incredible stories this year. Make a point. Maybe doing it does. You know, sometimes I'm always. Oh, fall either side when it comes to
2: targets and quotas, but maybe in this instance we just need to start to implement them. I could have gone on forever and ever. There's one thing that we didn't even touch on here today, which is the scandal. And the text says here the media will always give greatest coverage to whoever mucks up the most. Maybe more women.
4: <laughs> They're not very good at mucking up. They're just really good uh, at winning. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> we need to get into more. Well, I'm trouble. okay if they don't start mucking up to we get do. more coverage. I'm yeah, okay. We just we need, need that
1: reporting, and the more reporting we have, the more. B- that we have for women in sport,
2: Professor Claire Hanlon, Susan Alberti, Women in Chair, uh, Women in Sport Chair at Victoria University. As always, thank you so much for your time, Shiloh Curtis. Thanks so much for being on the conversation. I'm going to have to get you back in again. Really enjoyed your company today. You, of course, you would know her from Tally and Radio here on ABC, and a former Australian Rules footballer and administrator. And Sarah Styles, the Director for Office and Women in Sport and Recreation. As always, thank you, and thank you for this report as well. The Conversation Hour is a podcast, don't forget that. We do heaps of stuff on community sport in particular. So many programs, I have lost track of it. So subscribe to The Conversation Hour, go to the ABC, listen apps, put Conversation Hour and sport into your search engine and there will be a plethora of topics for you to listen to. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, take care. My name's Rochelle Hunt.